E-hud or bust. All right, ready? <laughs> We're going to E-hud this thing. Pastor Joe. And I'm Kirsten. We've served in church leadership for over two decades. And most of that, we've been on staff together. We're here to talk about our faith, family, and ministry. Welcome to Under the Hood. How long is it too long to have your Christmas tree up? Because we still have ours up. Wow. <laughs> Wow. Um, so you might as well just leave it up all year. <laughs> start decorating it for Easter. I admit it's been up too long. I know. We just haven't had time to take it down. We do have the ornaments finally off. We just got them taken off this week. It's a beautiful tree. It but could the lights in the tree long. are still up. So I saw this video of some rich major league baseball player who had some big man downtown New York apartment big beautiful thing that overlooks central park so obviously he was a pretty successful baseball player i think he's retired now i don't remember who it was but they had this they had like these 20 foot tall ceilings in their main living space and they had a tree that went all the way up to the ceiling and i'm going how in the world do they like like where does that come from and they have what they did was the wall opened up Uh -uh. and the tree pushed back into the closet built specifically for that tree and the wall closed back and it just looked like the wall. It didn't look like a door and it hid the tree. So every Christmas they open that up and it pulls the tree out into the main living space and it slides back in and it's hidden. They never have to decorate. They never have to do anything. It's the same tree every year in and out and it's beautiful. I mean, imagine the the skyline of New York City, Manhattan Park. You're like 20 stories up, 30 stories up, high rise apartment living and that beautiful tree. And I'm going, they... Broke the code. They figured it out. Why don't you build me a, a closet for my tree like that? A, I wouldn't know how to build a closet like that. <laughs> B. I'll amen that. <laughs> B, we're really talking about an hour's worth of work on each side of Christmas. And I don't know yeah, if that's worth a closet. Our tree is what? How many feet? Our, our tree. Eight we or have, nine. We have an eight foot tree. Yeah. Yeah. It fits kind of in the corner. Like, Listen, I worked really hard to get that tree. The perfect height, the perfect spot. It's a skinny, tall tree, and I got it 75% off. We have had tree battles for years. We don't we don't love decorating for Christmas. It's not one of our favorite things to do. No. Um, I will say this, that when we and first we got married. we obviously don't like undoing our, decorating. Our first Christmas together as a married couple, I was preaching in a small town in Illinois, and one day I woke up and there's a tree, a Christmas tree, on my front porch of the church parsonage. A real one. A real one. And I'm like, what in the world? Well, evidently, that's something that a guy in the church did. He always- We were married by them. Yeah, yeah, we were married. It was our first Christmas as a married couple. And evidently, every Christmas for years, decades, he has always provided the parsonage with the Christmas tree. So I'm like, well- well, I've never had a real Christmas tree. What do I do We're with like, this thing? What do we do now? Like, how do you stand it up? So I had to figure this out. So we got, we went to Walmart and got a stand and, and we didn't have any decorations yet. We were just newly married. So, and so, and then after that, I'm like, we left it up too long and, and it got um, all dried out. And wait, then they're like, wait, you wait, have to get that out of the parsonage. That's up, a fire hazard. Back up. How long did we leave it up? I don't know. Long enough for it to become a fire I hazard. I can tell you the month. How You don't remember that. I do. Because it was a major fire hazard because <laughs> a real tree, I think you're supposed to take down by like beginning of January and it was March. We left that thing up till March. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All and I know. Needles falling out. And then someone's like, that's kind of a It was brought hazard. to my attention. And we're like, oh. Because if you've ever lived <laughs> yeah, in it. Yeah, I guess it is. So the parsonage is. Uh, a lot of churches own homes, and I, we don't have that here. We own our own home. But a lot of churches, especially a lot of your smaller churches, they have parsonages. That used to be the big thing. You know, the preacher, you didn't, you know, they didn't give him a high salary, but they gave him a free place to live, you know, to kind of balance that out. And so we have lived. It was an older home. It was nice. We've lived in two, two parsonages. But mm-hmm. if you've ever lived in a church provided housing, a parsonage, then you know that the church's house is not just the pastor's house. It's, it's the people's seat. It's the people's house. <laughs> now we can tell you, we should do a podcast sometime just what it was like to live in a church parsonage. 
<laughs> but um, for reals, but it, we had good experiences. But it, 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 it you know, one time uh, I had a church that was that wanted me to come be their pastor. I was I, this was years ago, years ago, and um, and uh, I was in between ministries. We were it was a season that Kirsten and I were in where where um, we were just looking for a place to serve, and we talked to a church in Illinois, and uh, the church was like they 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 kind of outline the salary package and it was a very expensive part of illinois and um and i told him i said listen i i think i believe in your vision i think i i think you guys have desire it's a really really small church so and i just said um i honestly don't think i can afford to live here on this and i'm not even sure my wife working full-time would get it done either and they says well we've thought of that and they said, we would like to convert one of the Sunday school classrooms into your apartment. apartment. <laughs> said, Wait a minute. You, you want me to live in the church? That's a holy nope. Yeah. <laughs> like, and uh, you're snapping at each other. Like, and, you know, it, it's like, um, and he's like, like, oh, yeah, no, there's, there's, um, we could install a bathroom and a shower. They showed me. They had and, vision. And I'm like, so you, you want to, like, literally, you'd walk down the church hallway, classroom A, classroom B, Joe and Kirst, Kirsten's house. You know? <laughs> and I'm like, I just walk right out and I'm like, well, we were newly married. I don't know if, I don't know if that's the right thing for us. I think, and, I think I probably got in the car that day and go, oh, oh yeah. we're not doing that. <laughs> I think that's the first thing you said to me when I interviewed at, uh, at Bella Vista as well. <laughs> no, that's, oh, oh. Uh, but, um, so, but this is where, you know, you catch up, you get these catchphrases that you just hang on to. Sometimes it's movie quotes. Sometimes it says, this one has been part of our marriage for a long time. So I told the church, I said, I really appreciate it. I, I'm not, I was not feeling called to that church to begin with. So it didn't matter what the financial arrangement was. I wasn't feeling called to it. It wouldn't have worked out, but I did tell him, I said, you know, I don't, I'm not feeling called here. I don't think this is what God wants me to do. And and honestly, I just, I just don't think I could live on that income anyway. And, and the, the leader who I work with, he looked at me and he goes, well, there's living and then there's living. You know what I mean? <laughs> And what he was, he was addressing like a standard of living. We, well, there's living yeah, we and then there's living. And so, um, we have used that have, for everything, <laughs> for everything, for at least 20 plus years. So it was like, do you want to get, um, I want to get a coffee today. Well, there's living, living. <laughs> and there's living. living. It's like. Hey, he can use it for, against me or for me in every. <laughs> I know we'll be at the grocery store and there's like, you know, well, there's a uh, great value green beans and then there's uh, green giant. Like, well, there's living <laughs> and then there's living. Oh my word! <laughs> oh, so anyway, so we, the Christmas tree. Yeah, so we in in Fisher. It was up till at least March, and then I think we finally took it down, and we had a pile of needles to to clean up. But our Christmas tree here is halfway. Put but down. it's not live. It's not a live Christmas no. tree, but it is up. And it's funny because our life group will come over. They haven't said anything. I guess they know <laughs> our life is just so weird. Well, They're like, oh, that's completely. And we've normal. had Christmas tree wars all throughout our marriage about um, how much we should decorate when it needs to come down. When Whose it needs to be put away. So we had a tree that we had a pre-lit tree for a while and I bought it at Walmart and they had this clearance. <laughs> so it was a black Christmas tree. It was pure black. But and it was like But you argued that it was not Well, I think it was a dark forest green, but, but the I box said it was black. a pre-lit, it was a pre-lit Christmas tree, and I thought, great, pre-lit. I never have to put lights on this thing and again. And it was about four feet tall. No, it was tall. It was it six was it was feet six tall. feet. Ladies and gentlemen, don't listen to it. It was six feet tall. And because it was a little bit shorter than me, I'm six foot two, and it was just right kind of my eye level. It was a little bit taller than or was, the top of it was about my head. It was four but feet. I thought this is perfect. This thing is on a clearance off of a clearance of a clearance. <laughs> And it was like twenty bucks. Joe's section. It okay. was like twenty Joe's bucks. Joe's section at Walmart is the pre, clearance to the clearance. Pre-lit sale. tree, and I had the audacity to buy the multicolored light ones. I I brought in. She's here's like multicolor. What were you thinking? And I'm like, I was thinking it was the clearance off of the clearance off the clearance. It's twenty dollars. Wait a second. And do you realize that's a big deal in in no I in know marriages and homes like. I, know that now you you should ask if you're dating right now you should ask 
Are you a multicolored light Christmas tree or are you a clear white light so, Christmas tree person? Yes. Because that's a big, that's Kirsten that's put her foot down. Right she there. said, that's not going in our home. That's and so <laughs> I went back to Walmart and they had other versions of the clearance off the clearance off the clearance tree. And I found one in the pile that was clear lights. I said, perfect. Exchanged it. And then bought, bought this tree, home. brought it home, put it up, and 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 she's like, "That's not even green. It's, it's black." I said, "But when the lights are on, you can't then, even tell." Yeah, you go. No, you said that's just because it's dark out right now. When the sun comes out in the morning, you'll see that it's a green tree. I go, but the box says black. <laughs> it was a black Christmas tree. That be, it was a black Christmas tree. So our friend who but, loves Halloween ended up taking it. But and can I, I think can I throw this out there? And I I don't know if anybody can back me up on this, but when you have a tree. And it's decorated and all the lights are on it. Can you really tell what color it is? Now think about it. Think about it. Can is, you really tell what color that is? Is it green? Can you remember that you're a man talking about this? Because no. I think every female would be like, well, obviously, yeah, no, obviously there's white trees. You know, there's white Christmas trees yes. and the green Christmas trees. But the difference between they're called a, flocked. No, a the difference between flocked. a black Christmas tree and a dark green Christmas tree with the ornaments <laughs> and the lights on is. You cannot tell. This I'm is, telling you. This is a false statement. So this tree lived in our house for three Christmases in a row. And every, no, yes, it was. It was three oh, Christmases. no. It was. One season. No, it was three Christmases. I, I think it was at least two. And then two. I had everybody who came in the house vote. Is that green or is that black? Because Joe thinks it's green. Well, when the lights green. are off and the light's shining on it. But when you when it's dark outside and you got the lights on the ornaments, you can't tell when it's sitting in the corner. True. When the lights are out and you're squinting your eyes looking at the Christmas tree, all you see is the lights on it. I remember you this. You cannot tell if it was black or green. I, rem- I agree. No, I remember this being a three-year journey. And every Christmas, every Christmas, we would set it up and Karis goes, I hate this tree. This is not Christmas. This is not what we need. I need you to get rid of it. I'm like, it. See, it was a pre-lit tree. It was easy for me. And I think what happened was there's just something you didn't like about the tree. And I think it's because No, it's because I got it at Walmart and paid 20 bucks. And that was listen, there's living and then there's living. <laughs> I never intended the sermon this past weekend to come out as funny as it did. Yeah. People were laughing hysterically, but I mean Rightfully so. This is this is a story that you don't see on it's Fox hilari- News very often. It's a hilarious story. <laughs> a guy gets stabbed in the belly and he poops himself. Yeah, we did. Talk it's hilarious. The whole church this, laughed at that this weekend when you talked about poop from the stage. That was a first. <laughs> I didn't actually say poop. What What were your words exactly? Because I heard poop. I never said poop. You said he. I said his bowels. bowels I, I just read the what text. The Bible said his bowels spilled out. Um, Which literally means his bowels let loose and he, you know, let, let go. And I think then you um, expanded on that by saying, you know how um, when you've been somewhere and you can smell. That's not what I said. Been there. (laughs) No, I said, I said they, when Ehud, when Ehud killed King Eglong, and his attendants were outside and it had been so long, they thought he was relieving himself. They thought he was sitting on the toilet. And I had made the, I had just kind of alluded to when Ehud stabbed him and the Bible says his bowels spilled, his bowels let loose. There had to be an odor with that. And I said, let's be honest. We've all walked in a bathroom <laughs> and wondered, did something die in here? No, but what I, what I was saying. You have such a way with words. Well, I actually thought, you know, going into the sermon Saturday night, that it was going to be a fairly serious sermon, more of a serious nature sermon. Because the first part of the sermon, I was talking a lot about how the Israelites were on a backward trajectory. And I wanted to help the church understand just how serious this season of slavery was for them. Because uh, when the king, when uh, Eglon, king of Moab, teamed up with the Amalekites and the Ammonites, mm-hmm. and they teamed up together to, to, uh, to fight the Israelites, and then they conquered them. That it's not just, I mean, this is a big deal and how, how I gave a little history of the Amalekites, a little history of the, of the Moabites and the Ammonites and how it goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. And so, and this is like them moving backwards. And so all these people that have already conquered, 
all these people they've already won against. Now they're just going backwards, all the way back to as a time of enslavement. So I was trying to build this case about how you know rebellion towards God, getting on this path of apostasy that we've been talking about in the series, is like taking us backwards into slavery and bondage. And that's not what the Lord wants for any of us. That and um, so then I kind of related that to how the Israelites in the time of the judges are living in a similar season as Americans. Uh, as Christians living in America, we're surrounded by paganism. We're surrounded by temptation and all of this stuff. And so, and it actually is, it's an attempt to pull us backwards back into slavery and sin. And I just saw a similarity and that actually was a fairly serious part of the sermon. And I was trying to, to bridge the condition of the Israelites and the condition of Christians in America together. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I see it on just about every chapter and every page of the book of Judges. I see these similarities. And that was one of the things I'm trying to accomplish with this book of the Bible, especially, is to show that this is an ancient text. This goes back a long time, but the problems are still the same. Mm-hmm. The solutions are still the same. The The Lord, the God that we worship, still the same. And uh, the condition of the world, in many ways, is still the same. And in that regard, the book of Judges becomes one of the more practical books of the Bible because of the environment, the conditions of mm-hmm. the people. To- totally different context, right. similar problems. So... So in comes uh, Judge Ehud. So I built the case for why they needed a deliverer again, and mm-hmm. the Bible says that God raised up Ehud. And, um, why are more people and I named think, Ehud? <laughs> I don't know. Why aren't more people, why don't we name our daughters Jezebel? Well, because well, of the, I mean, yeah. there's a reason why you've never met a Jezebel. Who would oh, name their daughter? be da- careful. There's probably someone. You know somebody that, I don't know anybody that's ever named their I daughter. I knew a Jezebel. I mean, her name was that, or you just knew her by her, her behavior? Name, oh. no. <laughs> I've known a lot of Jezebels. No, no, no. They're really, they're, her the real parents name named Jezebel. them Jezebel. Who would do that? Well, the, a lot of people I would think would do that because A, they probably don't actually know, they don't know Jezebel of yeah. the Bible. And hmm. so they're like, oh, Jezebel, what a beautiful name. I'm going to name my daughter Jezebel. Mm-hmm. And then people are like, oh, you named your daughter Jezebel? <laughs> oh, okay. That's how it happens. Did you go to school somebody? Did you were you told me one time you went to school with somebody named Orlando Orlangelo? No. Oh. I have heard of Orlangelo or Orland Orlangelo and Lemangelo. <laughs> if you spell those and names out. spelled up. orange jello and lemon jello. <laughs> But oh, oh, I thought you actually knew. That was just something you heard one time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know. Okay. To oh, with I thought Lema- you Lemangelo. Oh. Okay. Now, did you think I went to? I school? misinterpreted that story for years. I, anyway. So have you been telling people my my wife went to school with Orlangelo, Orange Jello? No, but I have told the story that your sister when she. Y- yeah, I'll, I don't. Know I'll be if careful that needs with this one. Repeated. Well, I'll be careful with this one. But she was a student teacher, and uh, she had trained to be a teacher. She was doing her student one year of student teaching, and she was taking role in the class. And, you know, like they do, I don't know if they do it like that anymore, but it's like, Everything's you know, electronic like now. Bill Smith here, Tommy Jones here, you know, and then she got to a name and everybody started laughing because she paused because she didn't know how to say it. She didn't know how to say his name. And, and, and it was, uh, um, I think he was from a Filipino family mm-hmm. or a, yeah, s- somewhere so. in Asia. Mm-hmm. And the kids started laughing because this has happened many times. And, um, he and she said, said um, um, she got to the name and she didn't know how to pronounce it. And he it was just it, call me Phil. Oh my God. <laughs> <sighs> oh, I ruined the story. You absolutely ruined this story. <laughs> she gets to the uh, Kirsten. Good grief. I wish you could see the look on Joe's face right now. Joe, the storyteller. How did I steal your thunder? You blew it. <laughs> I don't know how. No, because she gets to the name and she and she told us later, she goes, I didn't know how to pronounce his name because it was spelled P-H-U-K. U-C. P-H-U-C. I thought she said P-H-U-K. P-H-U-C. Either, either one. Yeah. And she's looking at, well, you know, in English, sounded out. And then she's like, um, and he goes, just call me Phil. <laughs> I'm sorry. I so you totally you. blew it. I'm sorry. Oh, you, you totally blew it. <laughs> Joe. 
Grumpy. So disappointed. No, I like seriously, Kirsten. You told it's like <sighs> this is the Joe and Kirsten, Pastor Joe and Kirsten. Podcast. Why would you think that you needed to say just call me Phil? Out of context, no nothing. I hadn't even set it up yet. It's a true story that happened in our family. You, we've said this story a thousand times, and it's like saying, um, like. Uh, I don't even know what to compare that to, but I forgive you. I know. Thank you. <laughs> Good grief. I knew you'd get over it quick. Anyway. So why would anybody call their daughter Jezebel? I don't know. And I don't know if anybody calls their kids Ehud today. Ehud. I'm, I'm going to be on the search for an Ehud. Maybe you guys and our listeners can help us. Did, have you ever met anybody that named their children or daughters or, Jezebel or, or Ehud? Elong. What's the? Egglong. Egglong. <laughs> <laughs> This feels so off now. Definitely don't want to call your your son Egglong. All right. So but anyway, I'm going to look it up on the internet and see if what? anyone's called their child Ehud or Egglong. All right. I, you know they have. I I'm sure there's a name for everything under the sun, but I've never met an Ehud and I've never met a Jezebel. Just wait. You're gonna. You're someone's gonna reach out their hand to shake your hand here in the next week or two, and they're like, "What's your name? My name's Jezebel." And your <laughs> eyeballs are gonna be like ginormous. You're gonna be like, "Really? Is that your real name?" And then they're gonna be offended. Well, I don't know. Anyway, Ehud comes on the scene, and he's the he's the second judge of the Book of Judges. He's the deliverer. That's that's exactly what he's called is a deliverer. And um, and there's this detail. He's a left handed man. He's a lefty. Good man. And I a think this man. is where the sermon went from serious to funny. I think this was the transition. And I had said, "Hey, I told the church. I said, um, Kirsch and I were talking about this story last week. The story, of, the details of of Ehud and Eglong and." And uh, we were talking about his left-handedness. And I said, Kirsten said, her conclusion was, well, the reason why the Bible says that he's left-handed is because lefties are just better. And they thought that was hilarious. There must have been a lot of lefties in church. But that, I think, it was, it was, I think that. are better. That kind of. And more creative. It kind of, and they ruin jokes. And. um, (laughs) And quick. And they, so. I That's why that he was able to pull one something over. Something like that. That little statement, I think, kind of it kind of flipped the switch of like serious to a little bit more. And maybe we needed that little that little tension release. Yeah, but I didn't I didn't appreciate that you said that he might have been left handed because his right arm must not have worked correctly. I'm no, like, no. There's actually room in the text for that interpretation. Where that he was a left hand. If you go back to the original Hebrew, you it can be. And why don't you bring that? Well, Why don't you I, bring that to us? I'm not a Hebrew scholar. But you I Hebrew read in- a bunch of commentaries. I read a bunch of commentaries. In fact, one of the one of the commentaries. So you're saying that everyone would have been right-handed, and the only reason why they ever would have used their left hand is because they either didn't have it or it didn't work. Well, in ancient culture, there's listen. There's a lot we don't know, but there is a lot we do know. In ancient cult- culture. Right-handedness was dominant, and I think you would say even in our culture, right-handed is still a dominant arm for most people. But in military applications, soldiers were trained right-handed. They were right-handed soldiers. It was not as common to find a left-handed soldier, and because in ancient culture, a lot of times your right hand was considered your fighting hand, and even to this day in some third-world countries, your left hand is more connected to hygiene issues. Do you know what I mean by hygiene issues? I know. Okay. And so, people won't shake like it's considered rude if you hand them something with your left well, hand. Well, in a lot of cultures, you don't eat with your left hand because that hand is considered your dirty hand for dirty Where business. You wipe. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, Phil. Um, so anyway. You're uh, really going to hold a grudge. No, I just. Your true colors are coming out in this podcast. No, I just think a lot of people at home right now listening to this or driving their car would go, that would have been hilarious, but. I think, you know, it's like, that would have been funny. They'd heard you said, just call me Phil. And like all these people are like, what? What? Just call me Phil. And like, I missed something. Yeah, you missed the whole setup for the joke. I can't believe you're still on that. I'm not on that. <laughs> this is what they're going to love. This little spat between husband and wife. <laughs> so, oh, goodness. So there's stuff we don't know. But the main two most commonly accepted... Um, 
thoughts on his left-handedness was a, he truly was a left-handed person and that worked to his advantage because they think he hid his homemade sword on his right thigh. And there's this belief that they only frisked or checked for weapons on your left side because fighters are right-handed and they would never pull it from the right. Now, I don't know if that'd be the case or not. They may not have frisked him at all, um, but they certainly were less likely to imagine a left-handed guy coming to do harm. But I've read plenty of commentaries and there's this really popular thinking that that maybe he was handicapped. Um, I've got, in fact, one commentary in the book of Judges that I'm reading in line with this series is uh, that was his whole position. He didn't even he didn't even explore ambidextrous or just it was he was convinced it was because he had a handicapped see, arm. To me, that doesn't make sense, because if they frisked him to come in and they saw that he didn't have a right arm. Well, he, or he was handicapped or like, or yeah, def- or he was something. handicapped of any kind, then they would know, well, then he would have had his sword or knife on the other side. Like, it doesn't make sense. Like, because I think if he, everyone was probably armed at, at, to some level, the closest people to the King, most likely he had to get through security. There's no way that, he just walked so that's in. What I'm saying like, to me, I'm like, okay, so you you your handicap on this side, if if it was visible to them, well, I would think that to the secu- like the guards, right? The reality is we don't know, we don't know. I, I like what Warren Wearsby said. You know, Warren Wearsby is one of my favorite commentate commentators on the Bible. He said, he said, you know, if Ehud actually was handicapped on the right side, and that was his way of getting close to the king then it was a masterpiece of strategy mm. because honestly, I, what I think I, and again, this is opinion. I think Ehud was a familiar face around there. I think he'd been there many times to pay tribute to the King. I don't think they've ever had a problem. I don't think they really suspected him. And if he had a handicapped arm or was disabled in some way and he's never been a problem before, but he's just part of leading a delegation to pay tribute. They, there is a chance that they did not even see him as a threat. And yeah. so when he says, I would like to have a, I have a secret message for the king, they probably, I joked with the church, I said, they already sent him through the metal detector once. They just let him back in. Um, Someone behind me thought that was hilarious. They were <laughs> laughing for like five minutes, the metal, metal detector. <laughs> it was hilarious. Uh, well, it is hilarious, <laughs> Phil. Oh my <laughs> Here we go again. You know what the most important thing about a joke is? More important than anything. You know what the most important aspect of a joke is? Timing. Timing. Okay. (laughs) All right, I'll move on. I doubt it. I'll move on. So, but I I think about these two. It's really not the heart of the story. doesn't change anything. It's just things that make you go, hmm, you know, what what was it? Either way, they, they were not suspecting him to do what he did. And, um, you know, this story right here, we did not get into this at all in the sermon. I chose not to unpack this and actually encourage our life groups to unpack it during the week is, is there are people today because we read the Bible through our 21st century lenses. We put them on. It's impossible not to, to see the Bible sometimes through our culture. And that's why what's really important is you have to study the Bible in context, And when you read the Bible, you have to get into what we call in Bible college, the AIM, the A-I-M, the author's intended meaning. You have to understand how would people of that day read and understood this writing. You got to get to the author's intended meaning and the context to understand it. The challenge we get sometimes is we bring our 21st century lens, we try to apply the Bible with through those lenses. You got to do it the other way around. You got to see it through the context and the, and the author's intended meaning to, to pull the truth out that applies to today. But a lot of people that look at, especially here in the book of judges and the book of Joshua, these old Testament books that is full of violence. And what you have here is you have, you have an assassination. God raised up Ehud as a deliverer. God didn't condemn this action. There's a lot of, we didn't get into any of this stuff, but there's a lot of Mm -hmm. hesitancy around Ehud in the Bible. Mm -hmm. Um, When you get down into the original language and and like clearly God raised him up to be a deliverer, 
But the fact there's so many mentions of idols and there's not a whole lot of mention of God until the very end where he says, the Lord has given us victory. But then you see 10,000 Moabites get killed in this Mm -hmm. fight. And then the very next judge is Shamgar and he kills by himself 600 Philistines. Does it raise some ethical concerns of like, hmm, you get into this conversation of like, you get into this conversation of like, that doesn't feel like the God of the New Testament. Yeah. And sometimes people say, well, the Old Testament is full. God of is angry in the Old Testament, but he's loving in the New Testament. I, and he's using people to take people out. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's, well, I don't know. It, it, there's, there's in today's modern society mm-hmm. that's so full of tolerance and this and that, they read it and they go, well, that, that I just can't get behind a God like that. Because they're seeing it through 21st century lenses and the ethics of it. And they're seeing something different. Um, Anyway, I I chose not to go there in the sermon. But, you know, I would just encourage people to remember this. Climb into the context of the day. What did God tell the Israelites to do in the book of Joshua? You are to clear the land, destroy everything. There was so much evil, so much idolatry. I kind of think about it, you know, the most evil days that, that the world has ever known were the days of Noah. Mm-hmm. And and that when the, the Bible tells us that every inclination of every thought of every man's heart was evil all the time. Noah was the one that rose out of that. Yeah. I don't think we've ever returned to the days of Noah yet. You know why we haven't returned to the days of Noah? Because the church is here. Because mm-hmm. Jesus the Messiah came and there are people that are filled with the Holy Spirit, saved. This church is stopping the world from turning into the days of Noah. Mm-hmm. But even the church's strong stand, the world is going backwards. You know, that's mm-hmm. kind of what I was talking about. So... So you have um, this, I think the land of Canaan in many ways was probably the closest thing to the days of Noah. And God said, God's not going to send a worldwide flood Mm -hmm. to clear the promised land. The Israelites were that instrument. And he goes, this is the land of inheritance and you are to clear the land. And he said, completely destroy these pagan nations. Do not lock arms with them. Drive them out completely. Leave none alive. Had the Israelites under Joshua done that very thing, we would not be reading the book of Judges like we do today. So this is still something that was God's intention. Ehud was his instrument. The Israelites were still his instrument to do that, to clear the land. And so you got to climb back into that time and understand it in that context of what God's purpose was at the time. It's it's hard though. I'm I'm trying to acknowledge it's hard for people today to read this and not go, hmm, mm. how do I feel? Should I should I cheer for this? Should I be happy about right. this? Because we're seeing it through modern day wars. You know, when you think well, about and it's and it's descriptive in Judges three. It's descriptive yeah. of what Ehud did to Eglong and uh But so, you think about I mean, this this it, king Eglong, mm-hmm. an idol worshipper a God hater, an oppressor of God's people, pagan through and through everything that God doesn't want his people to have anything to do with. Um, um, and God took him out. How did Ehud get out of? Well, that's another interesting the room thing with Eglong. Well, first dead. of all, I was a little surprised when I said, when we read in the Bible that Eglong um, got stabbed by Ehud and the sword went all the way in, but it didn't come out his backside and his fat came up over his hand and Ehud let go of the sword and the sword stayed in his belly and people laughed at that. And I was like, I'm worried about you people. <laughs> You're laughing at somebody's death. You know, that's where the sermon had kind of, it had it shifted. It had shifted a few minutes before that and got, a little more funny. And I think I, I think I was playing off the church a little bit. Like the more they laugh, the more I loosened up a little bit. And the, the, I don't and the know more you went off script. It just went, I just went different. It just kind of went a different direction. That's how it ends up to be 50 minutes. So we didn't go into this at all because the, one of the questions is how did Ehud get out? Yeah. how did he get out? Well, we, the we most talked about this, uh, I don't know. Well, the most, ago. the most literal reading is that he locked it from the inside. And that's kind of like, I remember studying this in Bible college. We had this big debate in Bible college about if he locked the doors from the inside, okay, 
how did he how did he get out? So the, all the attendants and all the guards were. Well, were, I was surprised by what you had said. Some of the possibly commentaries or some people have said, oh, we think he got out through the sewage. Yeah, that, that is one popular theory. Now, now, let me read it exactly. It says in Judges 3.23, then Ehud went out to the porch. He shut the doors of the upper room behind him and locked them. So exactly what does that mean? And and the upper room was most commonly known in that day as the bathroom. So as the king's palace, he would have had some mechanism. He didn't go to an outhouse. Let's just say that. So the upper room behind him and locked doors. And after he had gone, the servants came and found the doors locked. So does that mean Ehud left the upper room, somehow took Ehud's key, locked the door and left without anybody noticing him. And his attendants came later and assumed he was in that room going to the bathroom. Or then Ehud went out to the porch. He shut the doors of the upper room behind him and locked them. Did he go over the porch and out? I'm not sure. But one popular theory is that the text says that King Eglong rose to hear this message. Now, I'm going to be a little graphic here. Go for it. So... Think about King Eglong and just the pride and the idolatry and the lack of respect for the Israelites. So Ehud comes in. He sends there. He sends everybody out. Ehud comes in, and maybe the king sitting on the can. What's this message? Because I have a secret message Define for you. The can. The toilet. Okay. And and he stands up from that, and then Ehud stabs him, and he falls over dead up in the bathroom area. And then Ehud locks the door. Now he could have gone out the porch and jumped. Over, but there is a theory out there that maybe he went down the toilet hole. No, I don't think so. Well, I mean, it's an, it's an escape. If it was too What's high. that movie that the guy escaped Shawshank redemption. Shawsh- and you mentioned that. I did. Your message. He climbed through, uh, he crawled through a half mile of sewage. I, I don't think that's, it's a theory. Possible. It, uh, listen, I'm telling you, this is the stuff that gets debated in Bible college classrooms. This is the stuff that, that you read a Bible lot of commentaries. Nerds. I'm just well, saying one, one possibility is that the hole of the toilet sat on was big enough for Ehud to crawl through and get out safely. So Ehud was a small man and Long was a large man. It, the Bible says a very large man. And, and, and it's, I think he pulled an Andy Dufresne. <laughs> in more ways than one because i said you know he got really close and comfortable there's a chance like andy dufresne from the movie shawshank yeah. i didn't even think about that right now yeah. andy in the movie crawled out yeah. the, sewage the sewage to get out maybe that's what ehud did too either way that's not really the point but he got out and um and then he rallied the israelites and they they fought the moabites Ten thousand moabites died and israel had peace in the land uh for 80 years so they had quite a bit of peace after that. Um, now, that doesn't mean they were always following the Lord and doing everything. And it doesn't mean, you know, there's this repetitive theme in the book of Judges. Again, Israel did evil. Again, you know, technically it could be read continually did. They just kept going. They never really got back right. Or the, maybe the rest of that generation did, but not the next. And mm-hmm. But anyway, it's an, it's an incredible it's an incredible chapter of the Bible, you know, this whole story of Ehud. But at the end of the day, this was my main point, and I, I, all of that just to lead to, to this one final thought. All of it was avoidable. That was my big takeaway. All of it was avoidable. Had they just obeyed God, had they just trusted and followed the Lord, it would have all been avoidable. Avoidable. And man, isn't that still true for us today? Right. You know, f- trusting and following Jesus doesn't mean your life's going to be problem-free. But you're not going to be going backwards into slavery. You know, trust and follow Jesus. And that really is at the heart. If you want to avoid all of these problems that the Israelites had gotten themselves into, then the solution is trust and follow Jesus. Come under the Lordship of Jesus Christ in your life and follow him. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have problems. It doesn't mean that you're that 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 life is going to be easy and doesn't mean there won't be seasons of struggle. But it's a different kind of struggle. It's not going to be this idolatry struggle. Trust and follow Jesus. It's all avoidable. And if you really think through our lives journeys, how much in our lives could have been avoided had we or the people around us just chosen to trust and follow Jesus, it would have been a totally different outcome for a lot of people. And and a lot of people today who have found redemption in Christ and a new life in Jesus, they're like, yeah, yeah. When I said 
when I asked the question on Sunday, how many of you could stand up here and, and say, yes, you know, rebellion towards God, doing your own thing, not listening to the Lord leads you down a path of bondage and slavery. You should have seen all the heads nod. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I can see it. Not everybody else can see it. I can see You can see all the head nods of agreement. That is so true. But I thank the good Lord that he sent Jesus who came to redeem, who came to forgive. Um, it really comes back to God cares more about where you're going than where you've been. I'm thankful to be a part of a church that, uh, that believes that too. This episode right now is our 50th episode. That's hard to believe. It doesn't feel like we've done 50 of these. Poor Abby has had to listen to us so many times. She she listens to us live while we record it. Mm-hmm. And then she has to go listen to it again. And she's got to edit to out edit. all the stuff that would embarrass us. Like... Like not what? all of it. Some of it's really good. <laughs> like your hairy leg comments and stuff like that. Yeah. Last week, Abby helped me out a lot. You didn't get to hear the whole dialogue about Trader Joe's employees. <laughs> um, this is where Abby's like 50 episodes is crazy. Can you believe we've been talking like we have a lot of hot air. There is a lot happening here. But thank you guys for listening. And I'd like to know, is there anybody out there that has listened to all 50 episodes? Oh, I'm sure. Because probably name some people. You are a special person. And you will. I I think that earns you an extra crown in heaven because I couldn't (laughs) sit here and listen to myself for 50 episodes in a row. But I don't know about that. But I would tell you, if there is anybody that's heard all 50, um, we appreciate you. Yeah, very thank much. you guys for listening. It's been fun. Um, and we we enjoy doing it. But uh, hopefully it's a little glimpse into um, our married life and our professional life, our family life, a little of everything. What's well, what this podcast yeah. is all about. It's uh, an inside look at faith, family and ministry. And because you and I have been doing this together for well, we've been on staff together now for about 20 years yeah. between our ministry in Kansas city and our ministry here. So, so you were, uh, we were in Kansas city for 10 and a half years. And for 10 of those years, you were on staff with me in multiple roles. And then, um, can you believe it? I'll, we'll have been here 10 years in October, I know October 1st. That seems unreal. 10 years. So, and you've been on staff pretty much the whole time. You came on staff three months after I did. Yeah. So we have, 20 years together on staff almost but then beyond before that you were a heavy volunteer i mean every church i've ever served you were right there so we've been actually serving in church leadership well over 20 years together i would like to think we've learned some things we've gotten some insights on some things we definitely have got a lot of stories about the last 25 years but Joe probably repeats them a lot here and i ruin his stories obviously. yes one of abby's jobs every time we sit down to podcasts i'd say hey abby have i told this story before and she would say She's yes like, yep. but have i told this story uh yep. yes and she'll tell me it was an episode 18 and that was like oh yeah she's and, so good and but I, I haven't told this but i but i do except we were talking we knew we were going to be talking about our 50th episode and i've got all i've got a lot of 50 stories and and i oh, said have i told you my 50s basketball story and she goes 50s. yes i said but i may have to retell that one <laughs> Because well, now I have all these 50s things yeah, flooding in my mind. Have, this is our 50th episode, and our church celebrates the our 50th year this year. It it does. It does. So that, we got a lot of 50s that, things going on That is on awesome. Right now. Well, my, my latest 50 story happened two nights ago. And um, and I've never told this story. It just happened two days ago. So Kirsch and I are working on a little remodel project at our at our house, and and um, it's I don't uh, know if I would call it little. It, it's been a little bit more involved than what we thought, but We're it requires to doing it requires a lot of, of laborious work. It requires a lot of painting. Well, I have a really nice uh, spray paint system that I paid a lot of money for years ago and I was going to use it to spray and save me a bunch of time. Well, well we bought it to spray our deck. Yeah, we've we got a lot. We've got a huge deck and I use it to stain the deck every couple of years and this and that. So, well, I couldn't get to work like the pump on it's broken. It's like, Oh, so frustrated. So we went to Lowe's and I was not going to buy that same system again. I was not going to spend that much money. So I'm looking at other cheaper options and things like that. So there's an employee there at the store. And I said, Hey man, do you know anything about these? And he goes, Oh, I really don't. And he goes, but I can tell you that brand, 
I see less of those come back than the other brand. So I think that's a pretty good one. And I said, well, that's, I appreciate that. And I kind of told him what we were doing. And I just, I just got, I don't want to sit there and paint all this. I want to just spray. And he goes, oh yeah. He goes, yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I, I mean, I would want to protect my wrist. I, if that project, it would just really wear my wrist out. And I'm like, how old are you? <laughs> I mean, it's not that big a problem. I mean, I was like, and he goes, well, you know, I'm, I think he said he was 32 or 33. And he goes, I got to protect my wrist. And then this, this is what, this is just my personality. I heard that. And, and I followed that up and I said, oh man, I said, you're just a kid. You're 32 years old. I said, I'm pushing 50. I was like, and it stopped me in my tracks. Those words have never come out of my mouth. I'm 48, but I said, I'm pushing 50 and it stunned me. And I and Kirsten was across the aisle and I walked over to her and I said, you're not going to believe what just came out of my mouth. <laughs> I just told this guy we were talking about painting and wrist and 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 preserving joints. And he was concerned about being 32. And I stood there and I, and said, I said, I know I heard and he <laughs> proceeded to tell me again. I know that's what I do. <laughs> and I said, I said, I can't believe I just said I'm pushing 50. I said, I know I heard this already. So I think I'm going to hit my fifties just fine. I don't think I'm going to have a midlife crisis, I guess. Maybe some of you guys that have already crossed that threshold can tell me, but I know it's just a number to me, but to verbally say it for the first time out loud, you still got two years, year and a half, no, almost two years. I almost just turned 48. Years, yeah. I'm not afraid of 50. I'm not afraid of getting older. I, I tell people all the time I'm in my prime. I feel like I'm, I'm I feel great. Um, I'm, I feel like I've got enough life under life experience in my belt to be uh, an effective pastor. Um, but I'll tell you, that hit me kind of weird. Well, if you guys don't follow us on social media, you should. We're on Instagram. And we're going to do some giveaways this week for our 50th episode. That's right. So mm. 50th make episode. Sure you go to Instagram and follow Under the Hood Podcast. I believe the handle is UTH Podcast yes. um, on Instagram. We're not on Facebook, but we are on Instagram. And so follow us because we're going to give some giveaways um, this week for our 50th episode. Are we going to give away 50 giveaways? For our 50th episode? I don't think. No, I think that's a little much. Let's honest, not get ridiculous. Honest, I'm not sure we have 50 listeners. If you guys don't mind making sure. <laughs> no, I know we have a lot more than 50 listeners. Making sure that you appreciate Abby because she is, oh, she's no, the workhorse no, no, no. behind all this. She does an amazing job. And again, like I said before, she's the one who has to listen to this twice. If there's no and Abby, so she, yeah. there's no Under the Hood podcast. Yeah. So she deserves a lot of credit here for um, just the longevity of this podcast. So, um, so thank you, Abby. Thank and you know what? Yeah. And you know, Abby is on a microphone and she can chime in anytime she wants, but she chooses not, not to chime to. in. <laughs> Abby, let me ask you a question. I'm putting you on the spot. 50 episodes. I always love when he puts me on the spot. Love it. <laughs> you know, you have the freedom to jump in anytime you want. Yes. But you are quiet mm-hmm. and you are a listener mm-hmm. and I know you're taking notes and you got the, but, but I want, I want it to be known. You are welcome. And I think people would love to hear your voice more and they'd love to hear your insights because you also have a lot of good insights. Well, thank you. <laughs> and I always tell them, if I feel compelled to speak, I will. I just don't feel compelled. She, a she is two ago, you jumped in and said something and later Joe and I are like, Abby chimed in. That was awesome. Yeah, every once in a while I will. That's good. Well, see, most of the time she listens to us talk and she's like, I'm not adding anything. I'm not I'm not adding any of that nonsense. I don't be part of that conversation. That's not it at all. Anyway, no. I, I've always said I'm just interested in producing a podcast. I don't want to be on one. Yeah. And so I'm so thankful to you guys for coming up with 50 episodes worth of content. That's the hard part. Well, it's been fun, and we appreciate all you listeners for great 50 episodes, and we'll see. Maybe we got 50 more in us. Maybe so. I don't know. So I, we always said as long as um, as long as long people are listening we'll, and we have the energy, we'll try to do it. But so, if you really want to know what we're like in real life all the time, just ask Abby. She has a front row seat <laughs> to what this – but I'll tell you, my personally, personally, as our church has gotten larger and um, I don't get to know as – many people as much as I'd like to, you know, when it's one thing I do miss about being a smaller church pastor, you, you, you know, everybody, you know, what's going on in their families. You're just, 
you know, I, I would, I don't want to trade what I have now for what for them, but it's one of those aspects of that. And I just, it's not possible to get to know everybody, um, as deeply as everybody else. Um, but I'll tell you this, I watched my dad go through that a little bit. And, um, and one of the things that I always admired about my father is that what people saw him, what people saw on On Sundays is exactly who I saw on Mondays. You know, what, who people saw publicly was exactly who I saw privately. So I've always aspired to be that way. You know, I, I, I can't know everybody as much as I'd like to, but the people that I do know a lot more closely, I would like for them to say, you know, Joe and Kirsten, who you see on Sunday is exactly who we see in life group, who you see. I would love it if my children could say who, who people see on Sundays is who we see on Mondays around the dinner table. So anyway, I hope that's what Abby sees too. I hope that what she sees on on Sundays, she sees on here when we record this. And I think, you know, not to turn this whole thing serious, but after 50 episodes in, I hope that would be, that would, I, for me, I'd feel like I'm, I'm winning at this if that was the case, consistency. And, but um, anyway, I don't know why that came to my mind right there, but, but uh, we've appreciated these 50 episodes, whether you know us through this microphone and this podcast, whether you're somebody that knows us because we go to church together and we're all part of our same church family, or you know us a little bit more closely because we've had the opportunity to spend more time together and get to know each other. I would hope that no matter what circle you find yourself in relating to us, that, that, uh, that you'd say every interaction was genuine and they're the same people. And uh, we're all in this ship together, just trying to love Jesus and get through life and ministry. And so 50 episodes in, I hope that uh, it's been a blessing to your life. And uh, this is going to be a big year of fifties for the church and for us in many ways, I think. That's all for today's show. We want to thank our amazing producer, Abby O'Brien. Be sure to check out our show notes and the links for things that we talked about today. And don't forget to subscribe. Thanks for joining us on Under Under the the Hood. Hood, not a car show. Okay. 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 Do you see what our marriage is like? See, I respond to you differently with Abby in the room versus Abby out of the room. If Abby was out of the room on that, I would say this. Yeah, why do you think we pay attention? Oh, stop. But with Abby in the room, I'd say, Kirsten, that's inappropriate. (laughs) (laughs) And that's why we have a producer on this podcast. (laughs)